Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. We're going on on a journey here. Peeps in. To my peeps, all right? We're going on a journey through the book of Malachi, all right? We did an introduction last week. Last week, we did the timeline, and it was almost like a story where it's like this happened, then this, then this, then this, and now, Malachi. And so you guys can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Malachi chapter one. We're going to be in the first five verses for the first episode of our series, Fear the Name. So as you guys open up your Bibles, let's go ahead and, and pray here. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these community of students, Lord, that, um, that are learning to live for Jesus. Father, I thank you that you don't leave them to wonder how to live for you. You don't leave them to guess what you're like. Father, you've given us your word, and so, Lord, our response to that is to diligently pay attention and, and lean in here, God, and to study it. And so, Father, would you bless this time, Lord? Would you make this time fruitful, as we read the words of your scriptures, as we apply them to our lives, as we study, uh, study and, and just take a good look at what's there, Lord, not because our mom said so or our dad said so, but because we want to know you, Lord, I pray that you would produce much fruit because of this, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Have you ever been in conflict? Have you? Have you ever been in conflict? Perhaps some of you right now are in a position where even right now, you're in conflict. Are you thinking of someone? Maybe even right now, in your mind, even as I'm saying this, you're picturing that teacher, right? You're picturing that friend. You're picturing that ex-friend. Maybe when you think of conflict, you think of the bully, right? Who's just been, man, talking down to you, and you're just like, dude, ah, I can't take this anymore, right? You start thinking about your sibling, or maybe even for some of you, it's your parents. And in your life, you can't escape it. There's just this this conflict, right? You ever been there? What if I told you that right now, in five minutes, I'm going to bring the person in that you had conflict with, and you need to confront them? What happens, right? If I told you right now, the person that you have conflict, I'm about to bring you both aside, and right now up here, you're going to have to cut, you're going to have to, deal with this conflict, you're gonna have to confront it head on, what would happen? Immediately in your body, think about this, what would happen, right? Right, your heart starts beating out of your chest, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Right, you're walking to that classroom and you know you're gonna see him, you know you're gonna see her, and man, you just had that big subtweet battle, there's conflict now, and for the first time, you're gonna see them face to face, and all of a sudden, your heart is racing, right? And you're like, and it's like you try to hold like your papers still, right? Or you're like, dude, I'll just distract myself on my phone. And you're like, I'm shaking, right? And now it's like, you know what, what happens when you're in conflict and you're like, right? Your mouth is all dry. You can't even swallow. It's like, and then you try to smile like nothing's wrong. And all you got is like, You know what I'm talking about, right? You're like so nervous that even the muscles in your face start to twitch, right? Your heart is racing. Your palms are sweaty. You're like leaning up against the wall. And it's like, and you're like, what is happening to my body right now, right? 
These are your body's warning signs, all right? When you start to experience these symptoms, that is your body's way of telling you, you are about to have a hard yet super important conversation. So pay attention, right? Those are your body's warning signs that warning, what is about to happen is super important, yet it's going to be extremely hard. We're talking about crucial conversations. We're getting into a book here, students, right? Oh, it's God's word, it's so happy, oh my gosh. I love the Bible, I just, I'm just so hashtag blessed, all right? The book of Malachi is not like, the book of Malachi is not like that, right? In the book of Malachi, God is about, God is approaching Israel through the prophet Malachi, and he is about to have a super important yet hard conversation. God is approaching his people, and he's about to deliver some truth that, let's be honest here, students, right? It's going to be kind of hard to hear at times. We're going to go through these pages, and we're going to see how God straight up calls them out on their sinful actions. We're going to go through the pages, and we're going to see how God just straight up exposes their sinful attitudes. And he's like, hey, you know what? I call that. Look at your heart. And he starts to expose them in their, in their attitudes. It's going to get intense here as he starts to expose even the leaders. He's going to start calling out the leaders for their failures. And all of this is going to be a conversation that starts to feel a little bit intense. And so here's what I propose to you guys. As we go throughout these pages, as we go through the text, what I'm proposing to you is that you are not simply spectators of this conversation. You're not simply sitting back like a talk show, watching God have a heart-to-heart, watching God have a crucial conversation with ancient Israel. What I'm saying to you guys is that there are going to be some truths in here that God wants to speak to you. There are going to be some realities that are confronting us in the book of Malachi, and students, they may not be very easy to hear. As a matter of fact, I can guarantee you they will be hard to hear. But citizens, here's where we're at. God wants to speak to you, even if they're hard at times. God wants to have some hard conversations with us. But before he does, okay, before he gets into these conversations, before he starts calling all these things out, he wants Israel and he wants you to know something vitally, vitally important. Before he gets into the book, he begins our, our, our text here by wanting to attack the notion of any notion, of any people that look at God and say, he loves me not. He wants to begin by attacking the notion that he loves me not. So let's begin our text here, starting in verse one. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Pause there, look at it again. This is the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, if you remember last week, we went through the timeline, right? And Israel, they just came out of the exile, remember? God has just disciplined them. He's punished them. He sent them away. And he's about to deliver some hard news to them. But God wants them to know, before I say anything to you, I want you to know, and he wants you to know, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I'm not done with you. Students, Israel, Everything that I've done, everything that I'm about to do, everything that I'm saying to you is fueled, all of my actions is fueled by my love for you. 
all of God's actions are fueled by his love. Everything that he says to Israel, everything that he's doing here is not opposed to God's love. It's fueled. It, it inspires, it is inspired by his love. And so do you guys hear that? Ready? Do you hear that? You guys hear it, right? You hear that little voice inside of your head that's going like, yeah, right. Oh, oh, for real? You mean to tell me that he sent them to exile because he loves them? If God really loved them, would he really send a prophet with this message? And I hear that little voice in your head, students, and that's, the, you know what that voice is? That's culture. That little voice inside of you that says, dude, if God really loved them, he's not going to be saying these harsh words. He would never send them to exile. If God was loving, that little voice is our, is, is our culture because culture defines love. This is what it means in culture to love someone. You ready? This is what it means. If you love someone, make them feel good. Right? If you really love someone, just make them feel good, right? And so anything that is even slightly uncomfortable, right? Anything that even just sounds like, I'm going to challenge you here. Hey, friend, can I, can I challenge you? Can I imply that there's something in your life that needs to change? You're immediately branded as, dude, that is not loving, right? Dude, that's not acceptable. You're not accepting. Bro, you're so intolerant. That's the way that our culture defines what it means to love someone. So let's do this. You ready? Let's test that theory. Can we do that? Can we just test this definition? So let me give you a scenario here, okay? You are standing out there on, let's say, Highway 14. Right, just for fun, right? Don't you guys all do that? You're like, yeah, after soccer practice, I go and run a few miles down 14, whatever it is, right? But you're out there on the highway, and you're standing dead set, right in the middle of the lane, right? And I'm sitting there, like, just eating my chips, obviously, because that's what your friends do when you're running down 14, right? Like, I'll time you, run, right? And you're there, just keeping time. And the guy, he runs and he stops there. And you see about, you know, 800 feet down, there's a giant freight train. That's not a train. What is that? There's a giant truck, right? There's this giant semi barreling down the road. And you say, man, I love him. But I don't want him to be uncomfortable, right? I, I mean, I, I love him, but I don't want there to be anything. I don't want to do anything that would make him feel like he's just not in the right position. And so... Uh, you're good, right? <laughs> you're good, right where you are. No need to change, right? Is that really loving? Right? It's kind of stupid when you think about it. Can we just be frank, right? Man, if you really love one, you won't, you won't make them uncomfortable. You won't imply they need to change. You won't do anything that may upset them. But friends, you know what the loving thing to do if you see a truck coming down the highways? Not to say you're good. It's to be like, look, right? See where you are. And that's exactly what God is doing here, right? He's sending the prophet Malachi because in God's kingdom, to love someone means to help them see good, right? God is not so concerned with making them feel good. He wants them to see clearly what their situation is. And he wants to make them see good. See, in God's, in God's kingdom, friends, and, and students, you need to get this, right? Because we grow up in this lovey-dovey culture, right? God's truth is not opposed to love, okay? God's truth, and even at times his discipline, is not opposed to love. It's actually his love that moves him to speak the truth to you, right? 
It's God's love that moves him to, to challenge you and to call you out and when necessary to even discipline you because in his love, he wants to see his people be the kind of people that he's created them to be. In God's love, he wants his people to walk on the path of righteousness that leads to eternal life. This is what God wants. He wants us to see our situation. The author of Hebrews, he says it this way, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. There is nothing more unloving than a father that doesn't discipline his son, right? There's nothing more unloving than a father that doesn't speak the truth, that doesn't speak into his son's life, that doesn't discipline him. You know what the worst thing I can do for Micah is, my son? Let him do whatever he wants. You know what the worst thing, literally, the worst thing I could do for my son is just to make sure that he feels good and is never challenged and whatever's in his heart is just whatever he does. I'd be sending my son to hell, right? Like, I'd be setting my son up for failure. But students, the reason why God is writing this letter, and he starts from the beginning, it's because he's driven, all of his actions, all of his words, all of his discipline is fueled by his love. And so here's the application here, right? If this is our God, if this is what God is like, if this is our king, right, then that means that our community is probably going to look like that, right? And what we're going to find here at Citizens is that our love for one another motivates us to speak truth, okay? If you're new with us today, welcome. I'm glad you're here, students. You're, you're going to find this is a great community. And, but what I want you to, I want to be super upfront. I want you to understand this. In this place, in this room, in this community, our love for one another motivates us to speak the truth to one another, Right? There's nothing more unloving than to watch someone going in the wrong direction and to do nothing, right? There's nothing more unloving than to see someone speeding in the wrong direction to hell. What good is it if you feel good and you're headed to hell, right? What good is it if you feel comfortable and your thoughts are never challenged, but you're apart from Jesus? And so in this place, if you have someone who confronts you on sin, if you have someone who challenges you, Welcome to citizens, right? They love you. Understand that. They're doing it because they love you. When you have youth staffers come into your life and they start challenging you and they expose sin and they put their finger on different mentalities and different men, uh, attitudes in your heart, understand it for what it is. Their love is fueling that action. We're a place where our love for one another, uh, one, love for one another motivates us, drives us to speak the truth. Now, time out here, right? This is, not, this is not like a, I can be a jerk for free card. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of us that we really want to just like speak the truth and be like, dude, just saying, right? When in reality, you weren't just saying, you were just being a jerk, right? And so we're not talking about being jerks. We're talking about genuinely being fueled and motivated in our hearts by love, by a desire to see the other person be in a better place than they are, not to jab them, right? And so this is, and so this is, Test check. What? Are you awake? All right, good. I don't know how I did that, but I'll do it again if I need to. So, so this is where we are, right? Our love for one another motivates us to speak the truth. And this is what God is. All of his actions are fueled by his love. Sound good? But now we're going to see Israel's response to that. God gives a statement of love. I have loved you. And now we're going to see 
their response to that declaration. Look at the next verse here. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Okay, understand what's going on here, all right? Israel is accusing God of not loving them, all right? When you read this, you can't read it flat, right? Like, you can't just read your Bible and be like, oh, they're, they're so confused, right? Uh, excuse me, God, I was wondering, I just, I'm really confused. How, do you love us? Right? Circle yes or no, right? This is not a genuine inquiry. They're not sitting there going, man, I just, I don't know. God, remind me, do you love us? Do you see what's happening here? They're accusing God of not loving them. You, you got to read it. <laughs> how, how have you loved us? You, you have loved us? Oh, yeah, that's rich. Oh, oh God, really? You, you've loved us, huh? Yeah, yeah, sending us off to Babylon. Yeah, you've loved us, right? Yeah, good one. <laughs> if they were to send this as an emoji, this is what the emoji would be, right? This is the face, right? Oh, yeah, I'm dead. I'm dead. Oh, God loves us. Right. God, you really love us? They're accusing God. I won't do that again. They're accusing God of not loving them. And so here's, here's a thought. If someone doubted your love, right? Dude, Sarah, psh, you don't love me. Isaac, bro, get, you don't love me, man. If someone doubted your love, how would you go about convincing them otherwise? If someone said to you, I seriously doubt that you love me, how would you go about convincing them otherwise? Of course I love you. Look what I did for you here. Look what I gave you here. Oh, of course I love you. Remember when I did this? Remember when I gave you this? Remember what I did? And so usually when we're trying to prove to someone that we love them, we point to what we've done. But God doesn't do that here. As he's about to prove to them that he loves them, he does something very unique. And you have to see it here, okay? This is key. God doesn't point to something that he did. He points to something that he didn't do, all right? When God begins to prove to them his love, he doesn't point to what he did or what he gave them. He points to what he didn't give them and what he didn't do to them. Look at the next verse here. Starting in verse two. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country. Everybody say hill country. That's gonna be important. I've laid waste his hill country, and I left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we'll, we'll rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So this is what God is saying to them. He said, if you doubt my love for you, if you really doubt my love for you, let me point you to exhibit A. Look at your brothers. If you really doubt my love for you, all you have to do is look at your brothers. Now, for, for those of you who read your Bibles, right, you know the story of Genesis. You know how Jacob and Esau were brothers. Do you know what kind of brothers they were? They were twins, right? They were twins. They were twin brothers, and so Jacob... Get this, his name means deceiver, right? Any Jacobs in here? Sorry, right? It's the Bible, dude, right? And so Jacob, his name means deceiver, he's born, and then Esau, his twin brother, boom. So here they are, right? 
and they grow up together. And Esau, eventually, he has family and, and descendants, and they end up becoming the nation. Anyone, any guesses? Edom, right? And so Esau becomes the nation of Edom. Jacob becomes the nation of Israel. And so he points here to Esau. He, he points to Edom, and he says, you want me to prove to you that I love you? Look at your brothers. You doubt my love for you? Look at your brothers. You guys are twin brothers, and yet my relationship with this brother is completely different than my relationship with you. You seriously doubt that I love you? Look at how different my relationship with him is from my relationship with you. He starts describing the relationship here, and he says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. Whoa, what is this, right? Wait, God says that he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau? What's going on here? We've seen this before. Those of you in the academy, we've studied this, right? This is a Hebrew expression. This is a Hebrew expression where, where, where he talks about love and hate, and it means this. It's to love something so much that other relationships seem like hate by comparison. This is like a comparative kind of love. And so Jesus, you know, he comes through in the book of Luke, and you guys remember this one? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, what? And, and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus, I thought you wanted me to love people. Now you're telling me I have to hate my brother? You want me to hate my mother? It's a Hebrew expression. It's a Hebraism, right? Meaning, I want you, your love for me to be so devoted and so committed that every other relationship takes second place, and by comparison, it looks like hatred. And so what God is saying here, he's pointing to Edom, and he's saying, my relationship with you is so special. My relationship with you is so significant. I've loved you so much that my relationship with Edom, by comparison, it looks like hatred. And so let's look at this relationship with Esau, okay? Look at the way that God, and this is important, friends, the, the whole message relies on this comparison, okay? Look at the way that God interacted with Esau, all right? Let's check it out. The first thing we see, he destroyed them for their wickedness, okay? God destroyed them. If I had a Sharpie, I'd just go crazy, right? But I like this picture too much. They did a good job. He destroyed them for their wickedness. And so Edom is wicked, right? They're wicked, they think they're invincible, they're sinning. And then it says that the Lord of hosts shows up to confront them. We talked about in the academy how like there's different names of God to highlight different attributes, right? In the Bible, if the Lord of hosts shows up, if that's the name, you're in trouble. <laughs> oh, you're in trouble, right? If, if God shows up and the name that he chooses to reveal himself as in that moment is the Lord of hosts. It's not good for you, okay? If you're playing online gaming, right, and somebody walks into the game room and their gamer name is Lord of hosts, that does not bode well for you, right? And so here's, here's Edom, right? And they're just like, dude, we're unstoppable. This is awesome. And it's like, well, Edom, uh, let me announce to you your opponent today. It is the Lord of hosts. Uh, what, right? This is God's battle name. Like, do you not see the battle name, right? His battle name, like God going to war. 
His battle name. Friends, I've been to Edom, okay? I went about five years ago. I went over to Edom, and this is a picture, okay? This is one of their capital cities. This is Petra. Remember how I told you it was like in their hills, the hill country? That's because they literally built their city in the hills. Oh, well, we have hills here in Vancouver. No, no, no. They built the city into the hills, okay? That's rock, okay? They built it into rock. I'm gonna show you my next picture. That's me down here. That's their, whatever you call that, right? They literally built their city into the hills. It was phenomenal. The way that we got to the city, we had to walk through a little alleyway that was literally, like I could touch both sides. And what they did was, they made the entrance to their city, they like carved, I don't even know how they do this, right? Like sometimes I don't blame people for believing in aliens because ancients did some phenomenal things, right? But they come through, they make this alleyway and here's why they do that. Because if an army wanted to invade them, they had to go in single file line. <laughs> right? You can come and attack us, but single file line, please. And then up on the rocks, they had these little, like, these little, almost like, I don't know what else to call them, but like sniper outpost. And they just sit there, like, eating their Petra burgers, be like, oh, this is cute. <laughs> They're Euro, right? This is cute. Another army coming to invade. Right? Sniped. Sorted. Slingshotted. Whatever, right? Edom was literally invincible. They were known for being undefeatable. Who could possibly beat Petra? Who could possibly destroy Edom? The Lord of hosts. You look at these pictures and you go to the city and you go, dude, how could they ever have fallen? It's because the Lord of hosts showed up one day and he confronted their sin and their wickedness. And friends, if the Lord of hosts is against you, you don't stand a chance. And so we see that he, the way that he reacted toward Edom, he destroyed them for their wickedness. Look what else he does here. He opposes their pride. Look what they say. We are shattered. Okay, guys, 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 guys. Nah, that was just a little oversight. We kind of fell. We kind of lost the city. But hey, it's okay. We'll rebuild. We've done this before. And look what God says. He goes, no, no, you don't. If you think that you'll rebuild, they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. God opposes Edom's pride. And he says, hey, this is not just a little slap on the wrist, you're done. Edom, this is not just a little time out, you are done. It is judgment day, and your sin and your wickedness, you're done. This is God's relationship to Edom. Look at the last part here. He says that he will demonstrate that he is the God of all nations. And so students, people are going to be looking at Edom, right? They'll look at those pictures and they go, man, God judged Edom. I, I thought God was the God of Israel. What is he doing in the affairs of Edom? I, I thought that Yahweh was the God of the Jews. Why is he even judging Edom? It's because God is making a statement. I'm not just some household God. I'm not just a national religion. I am the God, not of one nation. I am the God of all the nations. And when people see that what I've done to Edom, they will know that everyone will account to me. They will know that the whole earth will one day have to account to Yahweh. God is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of the whole world. And when people see Edom, they will know his demonstration of his power. And so that's his relationship to Edom. And so why is God telling us this? Sam, why, why do we have three verses here that just tell us how devastating God's relationship with us is with Edom? 
And you know why he shows you this? Do you know why we need, why we need Malachi 3, 4, and 5? Because he wants to compare a contrast to his relationship with Jacob. He wants to compare a contrast with his relationship to Israel. And so look at it. His relationship with Israel, he's disciplined them, but he's not destroyed them. When he sent them away to exile, what did he do after that? He brought them back. When God disciplined them, he didn't destroy them forever. He didn't say, you're done. I'm tired of you. He disciplined them. But like a good father, the intention of his discipline was to bring them back better than they were. Big difference. He doesn't doesn't destroy them. He disciplines them. They receive grace after grace after grace. There came a point where Edom was done. But with Jacob, we see, friends, from Genesis to the end, It's the cycle. Remember last week we talked about the cycle? They messed up, I'm sorry, judgment. They messed up, I'm sorry, judgment. It's just over and over. And God, you look at him and you go, God, are you you gonna give him another chance? They receive grace after grace after grace. And finally, when you look at Jacob, they never receive what they deserve. They never receive what they deserve. And so to Israel, who's scoffing at God, God, you don't love us. Yeah, right, God, you, God, you really love me? If you loved me, then this wouldn't be happening right now in my family. God, if you, God, if you really loved me, dude, not, like, I would not have these problems. God, have you seen my health lately? I've been to the doctors, hello? Yeah, right, you love me? God, if you really loved me, my family's bank account wouldn't look like this. If you really loved me, I'd have a little bit more direction about what's next, God, thanks a lot. God, if you really loved me, I wouldn't be caught up in all this drama. God, you really love me, right? Yeah, good one. God is saying to us as a community, God was saying to Israel, he says, do you really doubt my love? You really want me to prove my love for you? Exhibit A, Edom received their penalty and you didn't. You really want me to prove my love for you? You you seriously doubt that I love you? Look at your brothers. Look at exhibit A. They've received their penalty, and you didn't. You're still standing. Why is it that Edom received their penalty and Jacob didn't? Right? What do you guys think? Why is it that Edom, right, the twin brother, actually the oldest brother of the twins by like two minutes, right? But those of you who are twins, I'm sure you still use that, right? Yeah, exactly, right? Who's older? By two minutes, dude. Doesn't work out for you, buddy, sorry. Um, oops, right? But, but they're twins. Why is it that one brother is receiving exactly what he deserves and yet Jacob gets grace after grace after grace? Why is it? Oh, well, obviously because Edom was far, Esau was just such a better, no, he wasn't. Uh, oh, obviously because Israel was much more virtuous, right? Well, actually his name was Jacob. <laughs> Deceiver. What do you think? Why is it that one brother receives his penalty and the other doesn't? Friends, you know why? It's because God loves them. And in his love, he entered into a covenant relationship with them. And he said, hey, you will be my God, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And because he entered into this relationship, he'll never break it. Because he entered into this relationship, he'll never divorce them. He never looks at them and says, oh, you failed, I'm out. 
Oh, you messed up? I'm out. Oh, you sinned against me again? I'm out. God entered in his love. He entered into relationship with his people, not because of anything they've done, but because he loves them. Because he loves them. And so now, even when they mess up, he'll never divorce them because this relationship is not based on your performance. This relationship with God is not based on the performance of his people. It's based on the mind-blowing fact that for some reason, he loves us. Because he loves us. Because he loves his people and he's faithful to his word. Those of you in this room, those of us who are in relationship with God, how can we seriously doubt God's love when we realize that God doesn't give us what we deserve? God doesn't give us what we deserve. God doesn't give you what you deserve. Hey, students, good news. God doesn't give us what we deserve. And so he comes and he points to Edom and he says, this is an illustration of what happens when people receive what they deserve. Exhibit A. Citizens, I present before you Exhibit A. This is what happens when people who sin and are wicked receive their just desserts. This is what happens. And we look at them and go, oh, I get, oh, oh. And we start to realize, wait a minute, I've sinned like Edom. Every single one of you in this room, and again, this is a truth statement that is fueled by love, okay? Why is our youth pastor so mean? No, 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 I love you, okay? And so I'm willing to look at middle schoolers and high schoolers in their eyeballs and tell them, you are just as sinful and wicked and evil as Edom was. And therefore, you deserve the same fate that Edom has. This is a picture of what happens when you and I receive the penalty that we deserve. Lecrae, I think, says it really well. One of my favorite rappers, he says it this way. If we fought for our rights, we'd be in hell tonight. There's a lot of talk in our culture. Well, that's not fair. Well, I don't deserve, but I'm actually kind of a good person. That's not fair. Time out, Lecrae says, time out. If you're really fighting for what you deserve, if you really want to play that game of what you deserve, you'd be in hell right now. Right? God doesn't give his people what we deserve. For those of us in a relationship with God, he doesn't give you what you deserve. And students, the biggest demonstration, the biggest demonstration of this, Romans 5, 8, right? This is like a memory verse. This is one of those tattoo verses, right? Put it on your body. Make sure it's in reverse so that when you look in the mirror, you can read it, right? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You think, you wonder if God loves you? You think the situations in your life are examples of how God doesn't love you? Look at this. He shows his love for you. This is not Romeo love, right? This is not text message love. This is not emoji love that's so easy to send out. This is love that results in action. This is love that moves itself for the well-being of the other person. He says, you want to know how much I love you? 
I showed my love for you in this. While you were still sinners, I died for you. It's one thing. It'd be one thing if God looked at you and said, I'm not going to make you pay your penalty. But God takes it to the next level. And he says, not only am I going to not make you pay what you deserve, I'm going to pay what you deserve. And Jesus' love moved him. It fueled him. It drove him to the cross to where he got up on that tree and he paid the penalty that you deserve. Because God doesn't make us pay what we deserve. God doesn't give us what we deserve. God doesn't give us what we deserve. Have you ever doubted God's love? Honestly, right? No, I'm a Christian. I always have 100% confidence. Like, let's be real, right? Like, did you ever come to a point in your life where you said, man, I, I don't question God's existence. I just question if he's loving, right? I don't doubt that God is real. I just doubt that he's really for me. And maybe that's not you now, but maybe a year from now. Maybe a month from now. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe something happens that causes you to look and you go, man, does God really love me? And students, it's in those moments. It's in those moments in homeroom. It's in those moments in sixth period. It's in those moments in the car. It's in those moments in your living room. It's in those moments in your bedroom that you remind yourself when those doubts come up, you remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you remember that you deserve to be removed from his presence. And yet in Christ, he's brought you into the warmth of his family and he calls you sons and daughters of God. You remember that you deserve to be branded, dirty, unclean. And yet in Christ, he takes you and he dresses you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he calls you beautiful and holy. You remember that you deserve to be enemies of God, right? You deserve to have the Lord of hosts show up and do what the Lord of hosts does. You deserve to be enemies of God. And yet because of Christ, God is a good, good father who brings us in and calls us my beloved. Students, you doubt God's love? Remember the gospel that you deserve to be condemned. And yet in Christ, God brings you in and he gives you eternal life. You doubt God's love? God doesn't give you what you deserve. God doesn't give you what you deserve. 